0: All right, uh, we'll move on to Josh Erickson uh, at Mister Jibs, who asks, "Do you agree with Giannis's self-assessment that he needs to play more like a guard, other than three-point shooting? What one or two skills would should Giannis be working to improve this offseason? And I, I thought the the phrase "play more like a guard" was interesting because I. I don't really know. I think Giannis has always really enjoyed having the ball in his hands. And I think he's always enjoyed bringing the ball up the floor. Um, So I I think that's always something that he wants to do more of. Um, But, but really I think anything with Giannis and, and I pretty much always think this is play more like Giannis or play, play, excuse me, play more like LeBron, like, that, that's always how I view this is that, so I, I don't know what, what did we ever call LeBron? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to really view him as, but I mean, like, I think he needs to get more effective of playing out of like that back down spot. Um, I think he needs uh, where he just gets it uh, on the wing and he has a post up and then he sees those passes. Uh, he needs to be more effective, uh, you know, as he, he kind of, drives the basket and someone puts up a wall and he sees passes Uh, to me like the the thing that he needs to work on uh, to me it's two things it's one on target passes like i don't know that he will ever get to uh the the hyperbolic uh yeah or lebron kind of stuff where it was like oh he knows that this guy likes the ball spun this way like all that stuff i don't know that if I don't know that any of that was ever true, but that's how detailed LeBron's passing became uh, over the years. And, I mean, I think that's – like you think through some of those things that we were just talking about before about uh, guys not being the best spot-up shooters and not having those best things. Like I think one of the things that can help improve that is more consistent passes, passes that hit them in the shot pocket more often. Like you think of – I mean the huge – Brooke Lopez three from the playoffs this year trail three from Giannis and it it almost hits him in the ankles and Brooke Lopez hits it anyways, but maybe there's a little bit more consistency to be had in shooting if the passes are on target a little bit more often. So to me, I think that's one thing that Giannis is working on. And then I think the other thing uh, he seems to think that it's a mid range jump shot. I think you would suggest uh, the baby hook that you love so much. Um, But it is really like another thing that is not dunks that he can rely on, that he can get to a spot where he's comfortable. And I think it could be a mid range shot. I do think it could be a a little baby hook. Like you mentioned, like there does have to be something else because he can keep getting more comfortable on three point shooting. And that's what everyone's always going to want. Right. But teams are going to do everything they possibly can not to cover that. Because if they have to cover him to the three point line, everything becomes so easy for him. So uh, I don't even if next year he's a thirty four percent three point shooter on pretty consistent volume, like even then I don't know if teams are gonna go out there because they don't wanna go out there. They don't want to cover that. Like they they wanna be in a position where Giannis shooting threes is a win for them. So, they're just going to continue to stay in the lane. So, that's why I think those other things are more important because if he's improving on those things, those are truly what changes the way teams are going to cover him. I don't know that, you know, getting incrementally better as a three point shooter is going to have a large effect until, I don't know, a few years down the road. But um, I'm curious what what you think about any of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, like we talked about, I think it's um, gives me a little pause to hear Giannis talking about, you know, romance romanticizing the mid range game, and I, I I struggle with it because again, like as we've talked about for years, uh, that's an area where superstars do tend to have. Some abilities, you know, because it's a change up shot. It's the shot you go to when everything else is taken away from them. Um, so I think I I can understand the importance of at least having some confidence from there. Um, but now, obviously so much of it is about finding finding the balance of, you know, not just turning dunks into mid-range shots, because that's a losing trade. <laughs> I don't think we need to tell yeah. you guys listening that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the three point shot for the reasons you mentioned. I think um, again, it sort of fits in with the broader ethos of uh, of what this team is about as well, right? I mean, they're not constructed for. I mean, the bud and and the front office, and I mean, they don't they don't believe in shooting a ton of mid range jumpers, and you know, they kind of had to make some uh, accommodations for Chris Middleton because he was more comfortable having that as a bigger part of his game, so that came back a little bit more for Chris as the season went on, but Chris is a great mid range shooter. Giannis is not. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's a challenge. Um, And I, I guess I would be hesitant if, you know, Giannis starts shooting, you know, again, those one legged turnaround jump shots, just because that's what Dirk did, or that's what Kobe did, right? Like, well, you're not those guys, you know, you can do do things that even Kobe Bryant can't do. uh, And certainly that Dirk can't do. So, you don't have to play like those guys, right? Um, but yeah, having a little more diversity is uh, is always a positive thing. Um, and again, like so much of Giannis, I mean, it's just like, even if he just shot 30% from three, which he did two years ago, I mean, that that would be really, that'd be a lot better than shooting 25, 26%, you know, um, shooting <laughs> 76, 77% yeah. from the free throw line rather than 73%. That's, you know, a few, a few, tense that's you know almost a half point a game when you think about how many free throws he gets per game. Um, so you know you think about like what's going to take for Giannis to get to the next level. Um, you know, just make shots the way you did a couple of years ago. It, from from the outside and from the free throw line. I mean, that, we're not asking you to do anything you haven't done before, and hopefully he can get even better than that. So um, you know, and we we didn't really talk about that much during the season, but you know, you had a new shooting coach last year and Ben Sullivan come in. Um, it's hard to like see immediate results from having like another sh- shooting coach come in. I mean, I think a lot of times it, it does take a lot of reps and just repetition for guys to really get comfortable with even small mechanical adjustments or mental changes to how they shoot. So we'll see, you know, we'll see with the full summer here now for Giannis working out. Um. Does, does maybe uh does maybe some of that you know start to really settle in and we obviously saw it in the second half of the season in the playoffs he, he shot better from three you know he looked more comfortable so again if he's like you said 33 percent this year from three gladly take that right um that's that brings him up to a much more respectable level and even if even if him shooting those is a win um you know again it, it gives the defense another thing to think about
0: all right let's move on to it looks like a draft question here um while we're here a reminder that uh here at the lockdown network we are doing a mock draft uh frank and i made a selection in that mock draft uh we joked about possibly trying to make a salary cap trade in that mock draft and i think it would have gone poorly because no one in a mock draft that's supposed to be fun is going to be like, you know what? I will take on that money. That sounds good. Um, That sounds like a fun trade to make. So uh, we did not try to do that. We just ended up picking 30th. And um, question here from AJS at AP Linder on Twitter Assuming the Bucks don't trade the thirtieth pick on draft night, what would your preference be for them to take? Could be anything: draft and stash, high upside, older, more complete with lower upside, particular position versus best player available, etc. And I guess for me, and again, that's more player profile talk than actual player talk, which I, I appreciate because obviously we're not spending our time studying draft prospects like a like like we're going to have Cole's wicker on next week. uh, And Cole can do that for us much better than we ever could. Um, I'd also say Sam Bassini at the athletic, go check out his stuff. Uh, His mock draft is fantastic. He currently has the bucks drafting Ty Jerome, the six, five guard. Uh, He was a junior out of Virginia. Um, And I don't think that's a crazy pick, but uh, for me, it, for this Bucks team I mean I think at this point I don't know that I don't know that you can find a center that can play in year 1 on a contending team that makes any sense like I, and what I mean by that is after seeing what Brook Lopez did this past year with the threes he was shooting with the defense he was playing I don't know how you get that from a whatever year old, like someone in their first year as an NBA player. I would be shocked if they could pull off that. So to me, like that makes it a little bit tougher to think about drafting someone from that position. So I would probably knock out centers power forwards. I think are a position where Giannis eats up a whole lot of minutes. You already have a guy in DJ Wilson that probably needs some minutes ursan as well to me i think you you have to look at all those three other positions point guard shooting guard small forward uh and you're, you're gonna still have some concerns especially if you bring brogdon back of guys eating up minutes and guys getting paid to do so um but for me i just feel like you can feel more confident in uh a wing or a guard finding a way into a playoff rotation uh, than than you could for for bigs and maybe that's just harsh and maybe that's b- because I'm not valuing bigs in the correct way but that's just kind of how I feel what do you what do you think position wise or, or really just anything with the 30th pick of the
1: draft yeah I mean I think um, you know as big guys goes obviously you're not getting Brook Lopez um, and hopefully you don't need it because hopefully you just resign Brooke Lopez. Um Though I do think the, the big positions are interesting because, you know, the Bucks don't have a lot of depth there at this point. You know, Nico probably gone. Urson could be a cap casualty, right? That's certainly possible. Um, and that leaves you with DJ and, and obviously Giannis is kind of the you – know, DJ and Giannis are the only guys who at this point I would expect to be in the rotation. Uh, and obviously even DJ, that's premised on the idea that, you know, you're not bringing back both uh, Nico and Ursan. And so um, – you know, DJ has clear limitations, um, you know, especially offensively, uh, that we've talked about. Um, Giannis is obviously the fulcrum of everything. Um, but you know, we saw Giannis playing with different types of, or at least defensively, different types of forwards this year, right? We saw him play with centers. We saw him play with power forwards. Um, you know, other than Brooke, you know, once Thon Maker and, and John Henson were gone, the Bucks didn't really play a, an, another center other than Brooks. So um, I think Giannis affords you a lot of flexibility. You know, if you did have uh, a, you know, let's say a four or a five that could shoot and defend it all. Um, again, I agree, it's not a guy that I'm, I'm expecting to make any impact this year unless there's you know just a lot of injury problems. Um, but term, Giannis get a lot of flexibility that other guys don't in terms of, you know, fit that said, you know, the bucks really don't play anybody who doesn't shoot threes at the big positions anymore. I mean, John Henson shot threes last year. Mm-hmm. So, um, it is interesting because, you know, it's hard to find big guys in the draft that shoot threes with any type of consistency. So, um, I don't know. It's an interesting question. Like, if if that you know that that might be a little bit of disqualifier in, in some ways. Um, I I think again, my my view has always been, I always like to kind of make plays for high upside guys. Um, I think again, uh, on maybe a more veteran sort of established team, playing for um, you know the as as uh, as AJ kind of put it, lower upside, kind of more complete players maybe is a little bit more appealing just because you know especially you know the bucks have 30th pick this year they don't have any pick next year um you 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 really don't want to swing and miss assuming that you do keep this pick which is a big assumption right there's i'd say there's probably a you know better chance that that this pick is ultimately with some other team as part of some kind of maybe cap maneuver than with the bucks but um you know, obviously you want to make the most of it. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. If if you did see uh, a guy that maybe was uh, a more, you know, NBA ready kind of character checking more boxes type of guy, rather than just like the, um, you know, feast or famine type guy, which uh, especially with Bud and his role in decision-making, like, Bud doesn't strike me as the guy who's rolling the dice on, on guys who have questionable character or, you know, aren't hard workers or, or, or things like that. So, um, so I think that's probably part of part of my my kind of thought process. I don't know if I have a lot of positional bias one way or the other. I think you made the good case for why maybe a big man would be a lot of less interest. I could certainly see it, though. Um, and, again, that's even with, obviously, big men being at, at probably as low a premium as ever in the NBA. Um, you know, I think, I think Kevin Arnovitz referred to centers as, like, mercenaries in the modern NBA, which I think makes a lot of sense, you know, like— You know, just Hmm. they're just guys you just go out and every year you just find somebody. Uh, And if you, you know, are in the rare position where you have like a Joel Embiid or Carl Anthony Towns or whatever, Nikola Jokic, then it's different. But for the most part, everybody else can kind of afford to not really make big commitments, you know, like, you know, the Detroit Pistons giving Andre Drummond 25 million a year or whatever. Right. Like, is that really going to be something that teams keep doing? right? Committing huge kind of max salary slots to guys who are like kind of fringe NBA all-stars at, at the center position. I don't know. It's an interesting, I think, hypothetical because I think certainly, you know, and the Bucks are probably the best example, right? Probably not a repeatable example, but that you can just go out and, and you know, fill your big man rotation on the cheap and do pretty damn well. Um, so again, don't want to over-index on Brooke Lopez being this, you know, kind of massive massive value play that the bucks got at, at the center spot but um but i do think it's interesting so i don't know it's, it's weird though right last because let's look like last year it's like even with luca being this you know the most highly decorated 19 year old in terms of professional accomplishments ever in the nba draft you know again i'm not saying he's the best prospect ever but as far as guys who had actually done stuff against like real men and not just college or high school like luca was an incredible prospect and DeAndre Ayton got picked first, right? Um, And, you know, Triple J, Jaron Jackson, I mean, I I understand why he was picked where he was as well. Um, But, you know, him, you know, basically the fact that you had Ayton, Jaron Jackson, and um, uh, uh, Bagley as the top three picks, it's kind of wild, right? That, like, you know, in a league that is now more defined by, shooting and small skill players than ever, and has less of a premium on big men than ever. You had three bigs, you know, one of whom projected as like a good shooter, you know, maybe Aiden and and Bagley could get there as well. Um, but it's not like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's just remarkable how things like the more they change, the more they stay the same with regard to that. Um, so I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting with the draft to see, you know, do we start to see some of that, that, positional scarcity stuff come into you know starker relief in terms of where where big men go so um so yeah i don't know i mean i guess the bucks do have you know a fair bit of depth especially if you bring back the guys we hope they bring back um in the backcourt and on the wings um but again i think you can never have too many guys who can you know pass shoot uh and handle the ball right and so i think that's certainly something that i'm keeping in my mind as i think through uh, potential options and we'll, we'll talk about more of that here in the next week
0: a uh, reminder, you can get Locked on Bucks on the n- brand-new podcast, app Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. Moving on in the mailbag, uh, taking a closer look at free agency. Uh, at Bill on Twitter would like to know, uh, two-part question, what is the likelihood of re-signing all four, uh, all, all, uh, all our free agents minus Nico. So all four free agents. Um, is there a specific order of operations that this would have to take? Wondering mainly about the luxury tax, mid-level exception, how they'd play, how they'd both play into what we can give Brooke and Brogdon. Um, so I'll start with what is the likelihood of resigning all, uh, all our free agents. And I'm going to say low. Um, and the, the main reason I say low is because um, like, I'm not, I'm not a big gambler, but I do know that parlays pay off because you have to have a number of things go a certain way. And if you're asking me if four separate things are going to go a certain way, and I have to guess this based on an individual's preferences, I, I have to say it's low. Like, I guess it's probably 10%. Maybe that's too low, but you know i think when you're looking at middleton Brogdon, lopez hill i think you're required. i think you're at least somewhat required to expect some help from two of those guys like you'd be expecting some help from george hill to, to sign a deal that is maybe less than what he's earned this year and i think you're probably asking lopez or brogden for the same thing and um I, this is uh, enter the chorus of Bucks fans that say, why won't Middleton do it? And well, cause he won't cause he's going to get a max. Um, so it's not going to be Middleton, but out of those other three guys, you're probably asking for two of those guys to take less than, than they could get on the open market. And I think that's where it gets difficult and why I think you have to put the likelihood of resigning all four, I think relatively low.
1: What was your, so I, I viewed it two ways. I viewed it. What was the probability of, bringing back Middleton, Lopez, Brogdon. And then mm-hmm. I and then Hill I sort of tacked on at the end of that because I think Hill is, you know, less critical and also sort of just the harder to, to peg because at that point you would have very little, like you'd have the least flexibility probably in terms of bringing him back. Especially, I, I mean, if you pulled off the, the sign Lopez with cap space angle, which we've talked about using, you know, uh, renounce nico you open up about 10 million in cap space instead of using the mid-level which is like 9.2 million use that cap space um and uh basically by doing that you then would also maintain the room exception the room mid-level exception which would be about 5 million bucks a little under 5 million bucks and then you can go shopping for basically your george hill slash george hill replacement um with that money and again i I don't know, right? Especially after you basically told George Hill, like, we don't want to pay you $18 million, so here's a million dollars to go away. Um, oh, actually, we want to bring you back now. I don't know. Does that matter to George Hill? Like, I mean, he's probably a realist and understands why the Bucks can't pay him $18 million. Uh, you know, he signed that contract. That's just the way it is. But um, I would say the odds of... Let's start with the first piece. The odds of Lopez, Brogdon, and Middleton all coming back... Um, I want to say it's better than 50, 50. Um, but I think what you said, you know, like just probabilistically, right. I mean, if you're an 80% free throw shooter and you get fouled on a three pointer, you know, 80% times 80% times 80% is around a 50, 50 proposition. Right. So it's important to kind of remember when you're, you know, like you said, these parlays, how they kind of stack up, the more things that have to happen, the less likely they all are to happen. um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it, it's hopefully better than a 50-50. Uh, I think the Bucks want to bring those three back. Um, but whether they do it, I think, again, they each have their own risks, right? Middleton's probably the most straightforward one. You, just, you know, essentially, he's likely to have a max option somewhere. So are you willing to match that, right? And again, I certainly would not want to pay Chris Middleton five years, $190 million when, you know, the most anybody else can offer is four years, one forty. Uh, so, you know, don't offer more than what other team can do, can, can offer in, in their best. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, Lopez, again, in that scenario, I just mentioned, you've got cap holds on Middleton and, and Brogdon. So, uh, you would create cap space for, for Brooke. So technically you would sign, uh, Brooke first. And then because Malcolm, Malcolm's cap holds like 3 million bucks and, uh, Chris's is 19 and a half. So. Um, those guys basically, since they're going to be making more money on their new deals, you would wait until, uh, Brooke has been signed to sign those other guys afterwards. So you could go over the cap to, to resign those guys. Um, so that, that's, I mean, that's the basic kind of like order of operations that you would need. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd say that's maybe better than 50, 50, um, layer on George Hill. I think it goes down dramatically at that point. Um, is it like a one in five, one in four thing? I don't know, maybe, you know, you said 10%. Um, I think if I said 50-50 for, you know, or, or a little bit better than that for those first three guys, then for me to say that it was that that Hill turns it into a 10% chance, then that would mean there's a 20% chance of bringing back George Hill. Maybe it's a little bit higher than that, right? 20% times 50% is, is, sure. uh, is 10%. But um, yeah, those are probably the types of probabilities, right? And obviously, like if you get the first three guys and you don't get Hill, you know, then you have to start thinking about what you can get for five million dollars on the on the free agent market.
0: Yeah, I mean I've been kind of thinking like, I I do think it's a real possibility that Brogdon or Lopez are not returning. Like I think that that is very real and I don't know if I would have thought it was certainly at the start of the year I I, I would have thought if the Bucks wanna bring back Malcolm Brogdon and Brooke Lopez, they're gonna be able to do that, right? Like, but like yeah, fine, that'll happen. But now, as you think through it, it's like okay, those guys could like there could be crazy deals out there for them. Like we just don't know, uh, especially after the great year that that Lopez had. And I, I just think the fact that there's so many things that you can convince yourself with Malcolm, like all right, he's super efficient. Who wouldn't want that in the modern NBA? He's a great teammate. Who wouldn't want that in the modern NBA? He's great in the community who wouldn't want that in the NBA. Like I think there's a lot of ways that you can talk yourself into Malcolm Brogdon and the idea that you can't overpay a guy like Malcolm Brogdon cuz no matter what at the end of the day you're going to be happy he's on your team. Like he's going to make your team better. Even if he's not going to make your team better at 20 million dollars per year. Like maybe if, maybe you're not getting that type of value but you are getting someone that makes your team better. And I think there's a number of teams that can kind of talk themselves into that general idea. And because of both of those things for both of those players, like I think you do have to actually believe that that's a possibility. So I think for like all three of them, you are at 50. I'm probably close to like 35% that, that all three uh, come back just because I, I think it's hard with those two to know what they want. And it might, it might be that Brooke Lopez is like, okay, you guys can fit me in for this. I'm in. Like I like playing with Giannis so much. I like playing in Milwaukee so much. I trust Bud so much. I'm in. And if that's the case, then obviously the, the odds of this occurring kind of skyrocket, but we also don't know if if that's, that's actually possible. So, and
1: and the other, the the other piece too, I mean, the, we, we don't know how, uh, tax averse ownership is going to be. I think, um, A very good bellwether of that is going to be how much buzz there is around Snell and Urson being moved uh, ahead of uh, you know the end of the month when free agency starts, you know, especially around the draft when uh, you know the Bucks can agree to make a pick using the 30th overall pick, and you know they wouldn't trade it technically until you know July. But um, if there is you know strong buzz of the Bucks being desperate to move one or both of those guys. Um, certainly trading one of those guys also changes, you know, the math on what they can offer Brooke Lopez, right? I mean, you can, you know, if they're able to offer Brooke 10 million bucks, um, right now, you know, essentially without what with just basically saying, we're not going to bring Meritage back then, you know, Hey, if you could get rid of Versa on 7 million, you can, then you've got 17 million you can spend on Brooke Lopez slash somebody else. Um, which is kind of interesting because it's like, you know, if you can get Brooke at 10, well, if you have to give up Urson, then are you just basically spending more money that maybe you don't have to spend on Brook? I don't know. It's yeah. an interesting, it's a really interesting kind of thing. Um, and ultimately, you know, you may need that, that salary dump to get back under the tax. So it's almost like it's, it's really difficult because as we always sort of say, like a pick's most valuable before it's made. So trading it on the premise that you're going to trade it in July, but, you know, making the pick for somebody Um, is going to maximize the value of of trading the pick, but it's also going to be... It means that you're basically kind of... I don't want to say you're flying blind, because at this point, I mean, I imagine the Bucks have a pretty decent view of what, you know, again, Middleton's market is, Brogdon's market is, and Lopez's market is, because, you know, they're talking to their agents at this point. Um, So they probably have a decent sense of all this stuff and how it kind of is going to fit together. But uh, it's always a risk when you, you know, clear tax slash cap flexibility in advance of July, you know, because you don't know what's going to happen, right? And, um, you know, you may end up wishing you hadn't done that, depending on what happens uh, after that. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenging thing. But certainly, the more that they are interested in doing that, then that suggests that they are probably less willing to pay the tax. And maybe we might hope, right. As fans, we just hope that, you know, you are willing to to write the check and and deal with it. Um, But, you know, the scenario I laid out, right. You max Middleton, uh, you give Brooke 10 million a year and and let's just say Brogdon gets like 16 million per year starting. Right. Which I don't know. Is that too much, too little, whatever, you know, his market's kind of tough to gauge, I think. Um, But if you, kind of keep the rest of the roster and you've got um, uh, you've got the first rounder at that point um, let's see you've got five eight 12 13 roster spots filled so you got two more roster spots available and your cap number is at about 135 million which is three million over the luxury tax so you know again this is why why they might desperately try to get rid of verse on at that point, but then you've also got to add somebody to fill a spot in the rotation. So it's, it's kind of a tricky, a tricky balancing act to, to figure out like, how do you, how do you subtract from the tax number without subtracting too much from your roster? Um, cause you know, that's the thing too, right? I mean, um, you don't want to have to give away a bunch of assets to move a salary because then you've got to, you've got even more slots you need to fill in terms of the roster and you're doing it, having to do it on with very little money. So, you hope that ownership is willing to, to just pay the tax as needed. And the, the main focus is just, let's just get these guys back because ultimately, like we always kind of remind people of, you know, the tax is based on where you are at the end of the season. There's lots of ways to get back under. And granted, a lot of those ways are not going to be available to the bucks because of all the first second round picks and first round picks that they've traded. Um, but, you know, again, like, you don't have to be under the luxury tax on July 15th or something like that. Uh, It's, it's something that you have a chance to, you know, make, get back under uh, basically for the next, you know, whatever, eight months or whatever it is basically until the trade deadline is when you, you you know, essentially your kind of, your roster is what it is for the most part. So um, see, I don't know. I, I don't know if we answered any questions there, but it's, it's challenging, um, and I think though I think everything really starts with those three guys that, that we keep mentioning, and those are guys I think it's in your within your realm of control to to keep them. And you know, again, a lot of it's just going to come down to reading the market correctly, um, negotiating smartly, and then also you know having ownership, being well, willing to write the check. And you know, I think certainly everything we saw from this team this year suggests I think this is a team that you should be willing to pay a lot of money to keep. Um, and it's funny, you know, I mean, watching this, this, uh, these finals, um, you know, Toronto Raptors gave Kyle Lowry three years, hundred million bucks when he was in his early thirties. Right. Serge Ibaka mm-hmm. got, I think he's three years, 20 plus million per year. And he's a six, you know, he's like a six, seventh man at this point. Are those guys good values? Could you trade those guys for, you know, major assets? Ibaka, I don't think, definitely don't think you could, right? I mean, I think you could look at both of those contracts when they're paid. I mean, I think a lot of the people that, you know, are, are, you know, sweating profusely at the idea of, of Middleton getting a max contract probably would have keeled over at the idea of giving Lowry, you know, especially when at the time when he had this perception of being a guy who couldn't play in the playoffs, the kind of money he got or, or Ibaka, the kind of money that he got. And, you know, the flip side though is the Raptors, I'll say we'll see how well this take ages right in the next few days but Raptors probably gonna win a championship do they win a championship if they don't pay Kyle Lowry I would say definitely not do they win a championship if they don't pay Serge Ibaka even though it was too much I don't know Serge Ibaka's had some huge games for them in the finals you know he had some big games against the Bucks and you welcome to the reality of building a championship contender right like you know they're the 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 warriors are paying, you know, a ton of money for for Andre Iguodala especially when you factor in tax payments. Um, it's
0: roster flexibility think. is really cool. Winning a championship is even cooler. <laughs> like yeah. Like are you know what I mean? Like that that's the those are the realities of playing and contending in like the late month, like the angel the, in June, like that's what that is like playing in June and contending in June is you're probably not going to have a ton of options on the roster. Like you're probably committed to whatever it is that you have because you're at a certain level. Like that's just kind of how I think these things tend to go hand in hand. So, um, that, I think that can often be the reality of the situation. All right. Um, couple brady asks, looking forward to july one is chris maxed by the bucks in free agency or will he agree to slightly under the max i want to lean towards him being slightly under the max but i you know you listen to him during exit interviews talking about how you know he's got (laughs) to do what's best for his family and uh, like all of those things you know kind of make me think like hey i'm i'm not gonna budge here bucks like i can i can probably get a max from someone else i know you want me for less than the max but i'd like the max so give me the max Uh, you know what i mean like uh, that could also just be posturing maybe in the end that that will be what he accepts but I, i do think we very much heard chris middleton go into this summer letting the bucks know like hey I want. I would like the money that I'm I'm deserved or the money that someone else is going to pay me. That's what I want to stay here in Milwaukee. Um, so uh, I don't have a great answer there. Do you have a good feel either
1: way? Uh, I always like to pay lip service to the idea of trying to get Chris to sign for less than the max. Um, and And I don't really know if I put a whole lot into kind of the um you know the the uh media game of saying you know like i mean if you go to your exit interview and say like you know you just want to stay here and you love it here that might be true but again from just a like contractual perspective from like letting your agent like not uh, letting giving your agent you know the leverage to demand a max like well it's harder if you're basically telegraphing that you're willing to take a discount (laughs) so you know it's kind of just standard operating procedure to say that you know kind of what chris said even if you know maybe who knows maybe he would be willing to take a discount if kind of worse came to worse but again like are you willing to play that game of chicken with because ultimately it's not like chris's sitting there in the room or getting the calls every day from John Horst. Right. I mean, that's what agents are for. They're the ones who are supposed to negotiate these things and they're the ones whose job it is to make sure that, you know, they don't get taken advantage of. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think Chris ultimately, like I, I've started to just pencil him in at, at the max, which um, for, uh, for a guy of, of, of his tenure would be 32.7 million starting salary. So um, hopefully nobody, spit up their coffee uh as I said that on this while you're listening to this podcast. But again, it's a very, 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 very large number. But um, you know, there's a lot of teams that are gonna have room to spend. And, you know, now with Kevin Durant, likely well, I don't know. We'll see what happens with Kevin Durant as far as, you know, assuming his injury to his Achilles was in fact a tear, which we haven't heard officially officially as of this recording. Um but if that means he opts in to his contract with the Warriors, for instance that means there's, you know, another max slot that isn't going to be used, um, by another team to sign Kevin Durant. Right. That means that the Knicks aren't signing him or the, I don't know if anybody else was really thought of as being a kind of major candidate, but, um, you know, between Brooklyn adding a max slot between, uh, KD not likely taking a max slot from one of these other teams, just resigning with the Warriors who were not going to have max slot if he left, um, that stuff matters, right? It definitely matters for guys like Chris, who are these sort of fringe, maybe max by sort of default of of supply and demand type players. So, um, so yeah, I assume probably probably max for Chris, and um, I don't know. We'll we'll see. I think as far as um, Brady's other question, will Brogdon sign with us or will he be forced to choose to match it? I mean, I think the dance with this is always um, you try to make an offer that is not insulting, uh, <laughs> that is not insulting. What, is, what would not insulting be? Um, I don't know. Three years, 40, 42, something like that. I don't think he's, he's definitely not taking that on July 1. Um, but is it at least a number that, you know, you don't feel like you completely overshot if he, Accepted it on July 5th. (laughs) Um, But uh, also, you know, keeps up sort of the, also the appearance that if another team, you know, if if his agent goes to another team and says, hey, the Bucks are like not, apparently not interested in my guy. They're only offering him, you know, 14 million a year. You got 20 million cap space. Let's make this happen, right? I mean, you also kind of want to make teams feel like you're probably gonna match. And so it's not even worth kind of going there with the guy. Uh, which now you can't officially say that, in, in the media anymore, the, the leak frowns on that. Um, so, so I, I don't know. I could see, I could see a team that strikes out going twenty million a year on Malcolm. I wouldn't shock me at all. Um, I mean, a team gave Jabari Parker twenty million dollars over, granted, only two years, one only one year guaranteed. But um, so n- nothing would would really surprise me. Um, but uh, again, I think uh, I don't know, th- th- Again, there's there, there's so many free agents and there's so much money that it's just going to be maximum chaos. I think, uh, and and where that kind of puts everybody at the end, I think it's just really difficult to project. And I think Malcolm's probably the the hardest guy out of these these um, these guys to project because he doesn't, you know, he, there isn't the, the the limitation that the Bucks have with a guy like Brooke who they can't use bird rights on. Right? The Bucks could resign Malcolm for the max if they wanted to, regardless of their other kind of cap situation. Um, but I think that also kind of makes it a lot harder to peg him because he's a guy that ultimately he's probably going to be the guy, the last guy we find out about. And as a result, you know, when the Bucks are doing their tax calculations and where that puts them, he's going to be pretty important to look at. But, um, you know, timing wise as well, George Hill, I mean, they they have to make their buyout decision on George Hill before free agency starts. So it's not like, you know. If Malcolm gets a twenty-two million dollar a year contract offer, that you can just say, "Screw it, let's just give George Hill that $18 million, Right? The money's gone. Like Malcolm has a tiny cap hold. Like you don't have money to go spend on other guys really at that point. So, um, so that's the that's again, this is why this is really hard.
0: I th- I think they're matching something. Like I I, ju- I would be shocked. I if, think so too. If they make a
1: deal large
0: enough to convince Malcolm that he doesn't want to see it all out because like you said, there's enough money out there. You wait enough other free agents out long enough. Maybe you find yourself in a position where they do have 20 million and they do want to spend that. Like, I think that's a very real possibility. So um, I think they're going to match something. Uh, Quinn Noel asked a, a similar question. Middleton's getting all the attention for free agency, but what could Brogdon reasonably get as restricted free agent? What I would say is take, the word "reasonably" out, like there's nothing reasonable about restricted free agency. Like if some team wants to be an asshole, they can. Like they can just make you match something that that you don't want to match. So, I, I mean, reasonable. It'd be great to get Malcolm Brogdon at less than fifteen million a year. Is that reasonable to believe is going to happen? I don't think so. Um, I, I mean, I think you you're probably looking at. Uh, I know I just wrote today at the Athletic, but summer of 2016, there was a couple wings. Um, Alan Crabb, Kent Bazemore, um, Evan Turner, I think, and I'm someone else like, all those guys got, I think, 17 17, 18. Or 17, 18. Like, I, th- if you're Malcolm Brogdon's agent, I don't know how you're not saying like that's the number, like, it, you don't offer like we're not accepting anything less than that before restricted free agency and even if you do let us have like even if the bucks do make that offer maybe you say well if you're gonna offer that much maybe there's someone out there that's gonna offer us 20 or 22 so uh, i think in the end you're gonna end up matching something there and you just hope that it's not it's not too ugly. Uh, final question from Brady: Will we have enough to keep supporting players, or will we have to lose Nico? I, I think you'll have to lose Nico, and if you're not going to lose Nico, you're going to lose Brooke. and if you're not going to lose Brooke, uh, you're going to lose George. Like you're going to lose someone out of that. Like I don't. I don't think there's any way that the Bucks keep all five of those guys.